What do you do when you've got a great start, but you're interrupted by tragedy or discouragement or weariness? The answer, God says, is you build anyhow. What I'm going to give you today is just the very beginnings of a vision that, as Vernon said, we're going to be talking about for the rest of our lives. God is about to do something with or without us, and we want it to be with us. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to the book of Zechariah. Now, this is not one you usually read. Let me give you a hint. It's the next to the last book in the Old Testament, right before Malachi. Zechariah was a prophet during the time of the return of the Hebrews from captivity, Babylonian captivity. And his task from God was to motivate the people to rebuild the temple that had been torn down by the world. They had a foundation, but they had taken the time off and they were discouraged. And God chose to motivate them through showing them the future, giving them visions of the future. That would be their motivation to get them to build that temple. Zechariah is the most messianic, most apocalyptic, most eschatological book in the Old Testament. That means it looks forward more than any other book in the Old Testament. And I want to read to you one of the visions that God gave Zechariah to motivate the people to build, watch this, both a physical and spiritual temple. Because the temple of that day was much more than a physical plant. It was the symbol of the unity of the people of God. It was the symbol of the base out of which the people would go and complete their mission to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Read with me, starting with the first verse. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned. Zechariah had had several other um, um, visions, and he was weary. I mean, he was just, he was worn out. You know you can be worn out by blessings as well as you can by tragedies. And so he was sleepy. And it says, and he aroused me as a man who has awakened from his sleep. Now, I, I cannot tell you how much this verse means to me personally. Not many of you know how I came here. Fifteen years ago, I was a senior pastor of a very large church in Indiana. Wonderful church, great staff, great budget, everything was going great. But one night, I woke up out of a dead sleep. And I, my heart was all disturbed. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I just went back to bed eventually and went back to sleep. Next night, boom, same thing. Next night, boom, same thing. I started examining my life. I thought, boy, there's got to be some sin in there that the Holy Spirit's really trying to get to. Nothing. Well, to make a long story very short, what happened was that God said, you're going to start all over again. And, and he helped me find this nutsy little group of people who had just bought this dump of a roller skating rink. <laughs> and I got down here. And after we had been all through this thorough process together, one of the elders' wives looked at my wife and said, you're an answer to our prayers. And my wife said, well, you're an answer to our prayers. And she said, no, 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 listen to me. Months and months ago, 
a small group of us women got together and prayed fervently that God would disturb the heart of the man who was supposed to be our pastor. And Becky said, when did you start praying that? And it was the night I started waking up every night in the middle of the night. I want to tell you this, too. I've not been able to sleep real good lately. (laughs) But I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Which means you probably are. (laughs) As a man who has awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? We're going to come back to that in a little bit. And I said, I see, behold, a lampstand with all of gold with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps on it, and seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it, and also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. And then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And so the angel was speaking with me and answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Later on, verses 11 through 14, there's the same question. What are these? Don't you know? Now, I want to show you this picture that he's showing Zechariah in order to motivate the people to build the temple that will go beyond itself. He's showing a lampstand. Now, now in Scripture, lamps are really seen in two different venues. The lamp is the individual who is the expression of the light of God in the world. Jesus said to you, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. Said nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. Let your light so shine that those who see your good works may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So on the one point, the lamp is the individual who is in the world. On another point, the lamp, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, is a symbol of the church, the the expression of the church. And the seven lamps are the perfect number. Those of you who know Scripture know seven is a complete or perfect number. It means they're all encompassing all of the churches together. And so there is the symbol both of the church and of the individual. Now watch this. The difference in this picture is twofold. The difference in this picture of the future temple as opposed to The tabernacle, there was one lamp, menorah, one menorah, and it was fueled by the religious leader having to put oil into it every day. And that's the only way he could learn. If a religious leader didn't put oil to it, it couldn't burn. In Solomon's temple, which was torn down by the world, there were ten lampstands, all separated. Watch. And they had to be fueled by the religious leaders, in order to burn. Now, in this vision, there are separate lamps, but not separated. They all have a connecting pipe that goes back to a common bowl. And the oil for their burning is given to them directly by the olive trees. There is no human agency needed. It's the Holy Spirit himself that is giving the fuel for that light. I tell you that for this significance, that the light that has been separated 
is about to be connected. That which the world has torn apart is about to be reconnected. And God's call on Northland is to be a part of that reconnection. It is so significant that God would prompt us to build something physically that would mean much more spiritually, just as he did Zechariah, by showing us a vision of what we need in that building to take us beyond the building itself. We have that vision of connected communities worshiping together. Those individual churches all connected together. We have that vision of those individuals that are lights in the world and the church connected to them where they are. Now we know that that will not come without a price. But we know what we need to do. First of all, let's talk about the physical building that God wants us to build. We got to, let me do, just, we're not talking figures here this morning, just overall, I want to give you the big picture of this, okay? Show the first slide. This is the layout as it will be. This is the footprint, by the way, the, the light green that you see. This is the building out back, Bob, the white building. This is the existing building. This is a footprint that has been on paper for years. It's not something we've just come up with. We knew we were going to be building a building and have had it as a goal for years. But now we know why. It's not just for the accommodation of all the people we have, although uh, if, if, if it were only for that reason, it would still be justified. I want to show you, basically, uh, what we're going to be doing. The existing building will eventually be mainly a youth building. This will probably be a gymnasium, uh, but it'll also be a, a place for concerts and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we will finally have space uh, for the groups that we need to have uh, and the groups that we've not had before. This building, these buildings operate seven days a week, at least 12 hours a day, and they're full all the time. We're not, we are, and we love that. And these other buildings will be the same way. We're building a new sanctuary for only 2,500 people. Uh, this, it's, a, it's a low number. It'll be twi basically twice the number we can have right now because we want to continue with multiple services. And it's way too expensive to build a big building where everybody can fit. And it's not at all necessary. We don't need it. But this will build, we'll have a new sanctuary. Um, we will have um, a children's church and all the children in one building for a change. That'll be nice for the parents. Uh, but I, but I want to show you some features of that. Show me the next slide. This is just an elevation. This is what you have in your brochure. That is the sanctuary. This is a rotunda. Somebody's asked me about it. It's just a rotunda. Uh, an art, a, a place for art. And on the, on the floor will be this, uh, this compass uh, pointing north. Um, and, um, but it's in, simply an entryway. This is the new children's uh, education wing. This is the old building right here. Okay, let me uh, have that last slide. This is just a general slide. This is the second floor showing. We will finally have enough classrooms that we can finally accommodate kids in a way that we can pay attention to them personally. You know we have, right now, <laughs> this is frightening you, there, there are many, many times we have like 43-year-olds in one room. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it's 
You talk about a definition of hell, that may qualify. <laughs> but we'll be able to go back down to the numbers where kids can be, so it will be, it will be intimate, it'll be more intimate. Um, but it will be also be more expanded because in these rooms, God willing, we will have the communications devices where our kids can communicate with other Christian kids from around the world and see Jesus from their culture as well as our own culture. That is, this whole building is designed not just to gather people out of the world, but to take the people it gathers beyond ourselves. That's the, that's the big deal. Um, now, but let me tell you, before I get to that, that, that rest of that part, finally we will be able to have enough space that if we want to have an adult Sunday school class, we're going to have an adult Sunday school class. If we want to have, if we want, we used to have so many people in the community use our building. We loved it. No charge. Come on. This is God's building. You're, and, and we've had one by one say, we haven't got any room for you anymore. The recovery groups, the AA groups, we love to have that. We, have, we haven't got any room anymore. Uh, the, the, the scout group, we haven't got any room anymore. The, the singing groups of the community, we haven't got any room anymore. And that's just dumb. The church ought to be a place where the whole community can come. If they need a meeting room, meet there. No charge. We're glad to have you. That's part of what we are in a community. So finally, we'll be able to have some of that space. The sanctuary itself, I won't spend a lot of time here, but the sanctuary itself will be a communications tool. That is, these walls, where'd it go here? Oh, my, oh, there, good. These walls will be like an IMAX theater. And, and, and when, we, when we are worshiping with congregations around the world, they will literally surround us. They'll be a part, of a, a part of the worship. We'll be able to see them. They'll be able to see us. So that God's God, people from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven, foreshadows Revelation 7, 9, will be able to worship together. When we are not worshiping with other congregations, there may be some services that we don't have concurrent worship. In those services, these walls will become, this thing's fading here, these walls will become um, a venue to bring us into a context that takes us beyond the the inside of a chalk piece here. Um, um, For example, if we're talking about the historic church and how God has been faithful all through the ages and how how he has used artists... We'll turn those walls into the Sistine Chapel, and we will be worshiping in the Sistine Chapel. If, if we're talking about Jesus being our shepherd, those walls will become a pasture, so that, we, so that we'll be surrounded by a pasture. Now, we may vote on whether or not we want the smells or not, <laughs> but we will be in the setting. Do you understand? The, the, the whole idea of this, okay, you can take that down. The whole idea of this is to take us beyond Because that is the character of God. The character of God is to go beyond. And that is the character of the church, to reconnect with life as it really is. Now, this doesn't come without problems. We know that. And that's why this is going to be such a huge challenge. There's a good reason why so many local churches are just about themselves. It's a huge challenge. Now, look at what uh, uh, the angel says in the next verses, verses 6 and 7. Because he knows there's a challenge coming. Then he answers and said to me, this is the word of Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor then. And God was going to use him to build that, that, uh, that uh, to finish that temple. Not by might, watch this, nor by power, but by my spirit, 
How's this going to get done? Not organizationally. This isn't going to come by the organization of man. The connection of institutions holds no interest for us. We're not interested in forming a world church. That, that, that to, to us, that smacks of human institutionalism. This is only going to come through relationships of people who love one another. And therefore, it's going to be by the Holy Spirit putting it together. But he knows there's going to be challenges and obstacles because he starts talking to a mountain. Look at verse 7. And what are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone, that is the finishing stone, with shouts of grace, grace to it. We live in an age where there are going to be huge obstacles to this. That's why nobody's done it before. It's, it's going to be obstacles from within. There, there, are, there are people who have been so roughed up by the world that they look at anything and they see the negative. They're cynics. You can't blame them because they've been disappointed time and time again. They've been frustrated time and time again. So they look at this and say, ah, ah, nah, nah. Been there, done that. Just like the people who were charged with the rebuilding of the temple. And Zechariah was to go to them. And, they, and, and you could just hear the voices. Nope, not going to do it. We built it once, it got torn down. It doesn't work. And so there is this cynicism. And as soon as we say, we're going to go, you know, there's this clamping down. But I want you to know that clamping down isn't a check of the spirit. It's a hunger of the soul. This week, many of us fasted for six days. And many of us fasted from food. You can fast from other things. But Becky and I were on the fifth day of the fast. And we walked into this building late at night after the meeting, after a meeting out in, in the building out back, and, and somebody had been cooking something wonderful. <laughs> oh! And you know what happened to us, both of us, at the same time? Our stomachs physically started cramping. I mean, there was pain. It, it, was, it, was, it was an awful feeling. Now, our stomachs the first impression would be, that's bad. But what our stomachs was try were trying to tell us is, that's the very thing we, uh, you need. It feels like pain, but it's the very thing you need. There is the, the attitude in the church. No, that's, but it's the very thing we need to satiate the hunger that God has put in us. God only formed one church, one faith. One Baptist says that. One Lord. That's all there is. And we have become so used to being separated that we feel like that's normal. It's not normal. And so there's this, there's this sense of cynicism from the inside, but there's also the separation of the outside. The world has absolutely separated the church from real life. The church... You live 99% of your church, out, your lives outside this building. Outside this geography, why in the world would the church be here instead of where you live? Why would most of our efforts be here instead of where you live? Now, yes, we do need places to gather together. We love gathering together. And the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So we need that physical building. But the actual church ought to be defined where you are. And the support system ought to be where you are. Becky said last Friday she was with a group of young mothers. She came to me, she said, I forget. I just forget 
the, 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 the challenges and the very simple questions these, these mothers have. You know, what do you do when your kid bites somebody else? You know, what, what, just the, I mean, and, and, and these, these are people who, who want to make their children their ministry. They're not satisfied with, will my kid physically survive under my custody? That's not quite what they're going for. They, they, they really want to minister to their kids. Well, what, why should a young mother, should, should we have a place that young mothers can assemble? Of course. But why should a young mother have to come here to get the support she needs out there? The church ought to be restructured in order to be nearest those who need it. The same with churches. The same with the, the, the geographies and the theologies that have separated us for years. Now, I'm, again, I'm not going for one big church here. And I, and I love differences. But that's not the same thing as being separated. That's, that's you know, there are, there are, um, when we're going to go at this in a couple of ways. First of all, there is going to be Northland here and there, and, and there are going to be churches that we're going to need to plant, both in this nation and all over the world, that are simply expressions of Northland. Because, because they don't have a viable church there that we can link with. Uh, there's, uh, and and, and there, are, there are different occasions for this. Right now, there's a church in Sarasota. It's Northland and Sarasota. Uh, pretty soon, there's going to be churches in, in, in probably Namibia and Africa and so on. So, all over the place that are Northland there. And so that will be Northland here and Northland there. But, but there are also ways that we can partner with existing churches where their main problem is they're just disconnected from everybody. They're just out there all alone. Small churches who, who are wonderful churches, but their main vulnerability to Satan is that God, Satan's got them all alone and infighting. Uh, and and they, just, they just need a little encouragement or they may need a little eldering or they may need a little this. They, they may need a Sunday school. Too. There's way more giftedness here than we can ever use in this place. And if we can just distribute it, if we can just go there, then we have a relationship. We've got a link. Uh, um, um, and, and those will be partnering churches, like Jay's church. That's going to be, an, that's going to be a church completely independent. But, but the relationship feels like, well, we're there too. That's how it is. And so, so we got these around the, the town here, some of these smaller churches. You know how many house churches there are right now? A huge number of house churches. Wonderful. God loves house churches. But their vulnerability is they're alienated. They're all alone. They're separated. And so they need a link. The, you, you know how many opportunities there are with parachurch organizations right now. I had a, a student uh, uh, in, in uh, my seminary class last year who was in Campus Crusade and, and in the campus ministry there. They specifically go to countries and campuses without a Christian witness, without an indigenous church to, to, to preach Christ. But what happens is when they go there, um, uh, and, and, and they're there for a few years, maybe, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen, maybe three dozen students come to Christ, but there's no church to go to. And so what are they going to do? Campus Crusade isn't, isn't the church. They're not designed to plant church or to, to, to form churches. And what happens is these students go home, they tell their parents and their grandparents, and pretty soon the grandparents are coming to the campus along with all the grandchildren, because they've come to Christ, they love this good news, but, but this is the only Christian expression they have. What would it be like? Northland, you know more than 95% of the rest of the world 
what accurate theology is. You know, because you've been brought up in church all your life, how to form a church. And, and just to go and just say, look, the church can nurture and grow families in a way that an evangelistic association was never meant to. These are, these are opportunities standing in line right now. They're ready right now. And there's, a, there's another connection. There's a cooperation that God wants. Uh, um, let me tell you the neat way that we, that we broke the fast. That we were invited uh, to be with the other spiritual leaders in Orlando. Vision Orlando uh, is an organization that sees that the, the, there's a city church, just like there was in the old days. It was a church at Corinth, church at Ephesus. Uh, and there's a city church, no matter how many expressions of it. And so we were gathered with a dozen other of the spiritual leaders of the city, but Becky and I, with them and their wives, and we loved it. It was in the home of a lay person who, who knew why God had, had made them wealthy in order to build the kingdom of God. They hosted this thing. And I, and I just, the whole evening, it was, you know, Jim and Jeanette Henry and, and, and Howard and Tricia Eddington and... and, and uh, uh, Lou Campisi and his wife, Bishop Lou of the Anglican Church, and, and Roderick Zach of the, of the uh, uh, Tabernacle Christian Method Episcopal Church, and, 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 and Roberto Candelero, who's a Spanish pastor. I can't even pronounce the name of his church. Uh, and, and, and there were uh, Alex Clattenburg and his new wife. And there, were, there, were, there were people of, of all representative denominations. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, how did Satan ever get us apart? We belong together. This is wonderful. The church is going to be reconnected. And Northland, I want to tell you something. He's calling you. He's calling you. The next verses say this. It says, Also the word of the Lord, this is verse 8, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. The foundation is already laid with the churches and ministries already established. The connections just haven't been built yet. The, the foundation is already there. And the willingness to, to work together is more than I have ever seen in the history of the church. Ever. Since the church started splitting up. So it says, it says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent you to me. And I want you to see what I see, and many of you already do. I see a church someday that has many connections all over the world, and those congregations worship together. And because they worship together, they're more interested in serving in their everyday life, serving people in their everyday life, than they are church programs to improve themselves. I see a people so mature and with such an understanding of the sovereignty of God that they see every scientific discovery, every technological development, every tragedy as well as every delight, as the work of God to be used of God. They are so understanding of the breadth of God that they can read God in the newspaper almost as well as they can read God in the Bible. That's how spiritually mature they are. I see someday the world looking at Christians 
as a blessing instead of a sect. Because most of them have been served that day by a Christian. I see a family so big that our children and our grandchildren have very close friends in other lands. And they do their homework together and they pray together to Jesus. I see that. Now you've got to ask yourself, okay, if God does this, why would he start here? Good question. The answer is very easy. God has always chosen the least likely candidate. God has always chosen the most immature, the most ill-prepared. Look at what he did with the nation Israel. Look at what he did with the disciples. Look at the next verse. For who has despised the day of small things? It does not surprise me he would choose a roller skating rink rather than a cathedral. It doesn't. I don't wonder that he didn't choose a denomination, pick out one that was hundreds and hundreds of years old with a rich heritage and a place in the history of the kingdom. And don't wonder that he chose to start with a little group that's not even 30 years old who wants desperately to hear from God. God, what do you want from us? He just does that. That's his way. But the Bible says this, but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, these are the eyes of the Lord, which reigns to and fro throughout the earth. Northland, let me say this to you, and then I want to tell you that this is a call. This is a call. Someday, the world will be a place where even the world is not enough for the world. You understand? There is a day coming when money will not be the main prize anymore, even for the world. There is a day coming when the heroes of this world wouldn't think of accepting accolades for themselves, but only as representatives of the thousands of others who are doing what they're doing everywhere, every day. There is a day coming when the most admired people in the world won't be admired for their success, but for their sacrifice. There is a day coming when the speed of technology will be overtaken by the desire to use it for the purposes of God, not just the purposes of good, and least of all for the purposes of convenience. There is a day coming when people won't sit around and wonder anymore why God has blessed them like he has. Way beyond their deserving, way beyond their need, they will be so fully and thankfully employed in building things that last forever that they'll know why God has blessed them like he has. There is a day coming. And I want to ask you this. 
Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? When all is said and done, if you have the opportunity to tell stories on your deathbed someday, what stories will you have to tell? Will all you have is stories of the vacations you took or how much money you were able to accumulate or or, or how many taxes you were able to get out of or or a fishing trip maybe. that, That will make heaven not a capstone but an escape from triviality. Or will you with me if you're given the opportunity be able to say you know I remember a time when God allowed me to be a part of the beginning of a movement that changed the face of the church in the world. I remember a time when God began to point the church outward instead of inward. I remember a time when he reconnected the churches and they saw each other as brothers and sisters and they were glad. I remember a time when the church finally became something that we We were every day, everywhere. And that's how I spent my life. And so you know going to heaven is just the last stone in what God is building in my life for years. I want to challenge you to pray for and sacrifice and build this church. Pray with me. God, thanks for something that is so much bigger than a local congregation. It doesn't replace it. We will always love assembling together. We will always love the friends we have here. But God, help us to worship you in such a way that we take on your heart for those that are not included. Help us to worship you in such a way that our neighbor becomes as important as ourself, whether they be in our community or in another country. Lord, let us live the great commandment as a church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.